0: Hey, it's Dan. The Tradeoffs team is taking some time off and to get ahead on some exciting stories for the fall. Over the next few weeks, we'll be dropping some of our favorite recent episodes into the feed. Today, a story about a new era in the fight over whether people on Medicaid should have to pay premiums. Here we go. In Montana and Arkansas next year, Medicaid is going to look different in one key way. No more premiums. Federal health officials gave both states the authority to charge low-income adults monthly fees when they expanded their Medicaid programs, Arkansas in 2013, Montana in 2015. Now, new research has convinced the federal government it needs to take that authority back. Today, we travel through time and across state lines to see how premiums have affected people on Medicaid and what phasing these premiums out could mean for the future of Montana's program. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. Kate Bradley fell in love more than 20 years ago. It started back in Idaho when she was working on Medicaid policy.
1: Medicaid is so complicated. You can never get bored and you can never know all there is to know. And I think for me personally, it's just been kind of a mission and obsession ever since then.
0: Kate went on to work with the state's Medicaid program as a lobbyist, and that job taught her a few things. One, that politics typically privileges the people who already have power, and the people with the most at stake, the folks actually enrolled in Medicaid, lacked much of that. And two, Kate wanted to be the kind of person who used data, not raw political power, to offer lawmakers more objective information.
1: When you're using politics to influence Medicaid, the people with the power sometimes base their decisions on ideology and not what's necessarily good for people. But the evidence is the evidence, no matter what your ideology is.
0: Kate's devoted herself to that mission since 2014, trying to help lawmakers make better decisions through evidence that passion led her to become a principal researcher for Mathematica. And when federal health officials hired the policy research firm to compare five states that charged people on Medicaid premiums to 10 states that did not, it was hard for Kate to measure her level of joy.
1: This contract felt like Christmas.
0: States are normally forbidden from charging anyone premiums with incomes under 150% of federal poverty. That's about $20,000 for one person. And that's because premiums are considered a barrier to care, arguably defeating the whole point of Medicaid, insurance for low-income people. But the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services had granted Arkansas Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, and Montana special waivers to pilot this controversial concept. Conservative lawmakers in those states had argued making people pay premiums would help prepare them for buying private insurance after they left the program. The Obama administration approved the move to incentivize red states reluctant to expand their Medicaid programs under Obamacare. Part of that deal, says Kate, was to evaluate what happened. And that is where Mathematica came in.
1: The question they wanted answered was, how do premiums affect enrollment patterns?
0: A chance to inform decisions based on evidence.
1: This was an opportunity to look at very politically complex and interesting Medicaid demonstrations that affect millions of lives so that we could generate some evidence to help cms decide and states whether future states should have the same authority or whether the states with the current authority should continue to have that authority
0: kate and her team focused on enrollment patterns from 2014 through 2017 and there was a ton of variation states exempted different groups from paying premiums range from a buck to more than a hundred. Fees applied across the income spectrum. Someone who literally earned zero dollars could face a monthly bill. So could the head of a six-person family earning 40-something thousand dollars a year.
1: The amounts differed, the timing differed, lots of details of their premiums policies differed, but they all had asked people to pay premiums with incomes under 133 percent of poverty.
0: As part of their work for CMS, Kate and the team reviewed the literature on Medicaid premiums. More than a dozen studies of adults and kids in Medicaid showed when you ask people to pay, enrollment goes down. Mathematica had two key findings. Looking across the five states, premiums probably kept enrollment lower and kept people from staying in the program as long.
1: I would have to say that we weren't surprised that we found results consistent with this large body of literature, that premiums probably keep people from enrolling in Medicaid.
0: A few details jump out. Surveys conducted by the states showed most people on Medicaid thought the premium price was fair, but still the policy had a chilling effect. Overall enrollment was lower, even among people exempt from pain. Plus, the premiums of 30 bucks or more seem to keep the most folks away. Finally, the people who dropped out, dropped out fast, usually within the first year or so of having to pay. After that, people tended to stick with the program.
1: If you get past the first year, the difference tends to wash out, which suggests that if you're hanging on that long, The coverage is valuable to you whether or not you have a premium.
0: The team did not consider whether the policy chased away healthier people, but that is what one paper studying the Michigan program found. Kate is the first to say her study falls short of proving definitively that premiums cause people to leave Medicaid. Maybe some state could pursue that policy and not hurt enrollment, she says. But at this point, That's unlikely.
1: It's possible to poke holes in any individual study, any study. But when you have a dozen studies all pointing in the same direction, it gets much harder to argue that premiums won't have any effect on enrollment.
0: Since Arkansas's waiver was set to expire and Montana was seeking an extension, CMS wrote the two states last December, saying that expanding Medicaid had worked. More people now were getting medical care. But, citing Mathematica's report, CMS also noted,
2: The evidence suggests that premiums can reduce access to coverage and care.
0: The letter went on to add that premiums can exacerbate health care disparities.
2: Research from several states shows that premium policies led to decreased enrollment and led to shorter enrollment spells for black beneficiaries compared to their white counterparts.
0: CMS concluded there's no reason to believe charging people premiums
2: are likely to directly or indirectly promote coverage.
0: And promoting coverage is the whole point. Of Medicaid. That's why the agency has asked both states to phase premiums out by the end of the year and may soon ask Indiana, Michigan, and Iowa to do the same when their waivers are up for renewal. Arkansas has already continued Medicaid expansion through a new waiver, but one lawmaker in Montana says CMS's decision could have fallout in his state.
2: This is a huge mistake from the feds I'm very, very worried about the risk, and I think we'll lose the program.
0: When we come back, what phasing out premiums may mean for Medicaid expansion in Montana?
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
0: Welcome back. In Montana, Medicaid expansion was far from a sure thing. Back in 2013, most Republicans vehemently opposed the idea. Democrats, including the governor, thought the state should do it. State Representative Ed Buttry was in the Senate then. He was one of the few Republicans who supported expansion. He said the debate got quite
2: heated. It was quite dramatic, it was quite emotional in the Senate floor, and realizing you had one side saying, no, just do it as written, the other side saying no way, and it was a, it was a real battle. Um, there were threats that were made, um, I had my car damaged, you know, it was just an awful time and we couldn't get it done.
0: The measure failed by one vote, but Ed was just getting started. He knew people in Montana were suffering from physical and mental health problems. He knew people were struggling with substance use, and he knew businesses were struggling to find reliable employees.
2: And I thought, boy, isn't there something that we can do to address these problems? Uh, To me, how can you expect your workforce to be successful if they're not healthy, both mentally and physically, and if they have other problems that, that we weren't dealing with?
0: By the start of the 2015 legislative session, Ed had created a fragile coalition across party lines that wanted Montana to expand Medicaid. Public support was also increasing. Heather O'Laughlin works with the nonprofit nonpartisan Montana Budget and Policy Center. The organization gathered data and was one of several groups that worked to push this campaign forward.
3: There was a lot of conversation over those two years about the impact of not expanding Medicaid, what that meant for rural health providers, what it meant for families who are struggling to access health care coverage.
2: There was a lot of public attention towards a solution that was Montana centric. And I think at that point is when the public really started to say, hey, even though we have a Republican legislature and a Democrat governor, there is something that maybe we can all get behind.
0: That momentum was building, in part because Montana Republicans were watching CMS. The agency was approving waivers in red states like Indiana and Arkansas, allowing them to charge people premiums. Ed thought this was a great chance to salt in a bunch of
2: long-held conservative policy ideas. So we wanted there to be personal responsibility. And that included having rewards for healthy behavior, having a good path out of poverty, we needed people to be able to pay premiums, have skin in the game.
0: Ultimately, Ed built a bill that drew on his twin goals of improving health and strengthening the economy. The bill came to be known as the Health and Economic Livelihood Partnership, or HELP Act, and charging low-income people premiums was the measure's cornerstone. Dozens of Montanans testified at the state house.
4: And I'm here to uh, ask you to support Senate Bill 405. We would
1: like to see a bill passed that expands coverage for everyone in the Medicaid gap. I thank
0: you for your consideration of the needs of Montana's working poor. We
4: think our clientele would save about $10 million if this bill's Doing passed. Doing nothing was
3: not an option. We'd encourage a due pass. And I urge
4: your passing of the Montana Health Act. I hope that you will pass
0: this, this bill. This would
1: help us all a lot, so please pass it.
0: One person Heather remembers is a guy My name named is Max, Max Nathie.
4: Nathie. Max, I need you to talk into that mic just a bit. All right. Max Nathy is my name, spelled N-A-E-T-H-E.
0: Heather said his story captured the stakes if Montana expanded Medicaid. Max told the lawmakers he was supporting himself and his two daughters as a pizza delivery man. With money tight, he was rationing his insulin, and he desperately needed a heart transplant.
4: I can't even get on a transplant list without insurance. I make about $13,000 a year which is too much for me to get Medicaid and not enough to buy insurance. I can't take on another job. I have too many health issues right now. Doctors have told me that I should be on total disability, but to do that, you gotta be off work for a year. And who's gonna pay my rent? Who's gonna pay my gas and my utilities?
0: It's a big vicious circle. Max said they were living dollar to dollar. And as much as he hated the idea of getting help, he told the Senators that was what he was doing.
4: Without expansion, things look pretty bleak for me. All I have left is seeing my girls get on their feet. I want to be here to see them graduate. So please help me so I can get the health care that I need so I can be here for that. Please pass Senate Bill 405. Thank you.
3: You know, I think he was, in, in the minds of, I think, many policymakers, doing everything right. You know, attempting to hold down a job, but facing serious health issues that put him at risk of losing that job.
0: Heather O'Laughlin says the hearings and Max's testimony in particular a spotlight on what would happen if the state pressed on.
3: I think it was a perfect example of the underlying goal of providing affordable health care coverage and the impact that can make on someone's ability to thrive and take care of their family.
0: For Democrats, it was a chance to get people like Max essential care. For Republicans, it was a chance to beef up the state's workforce and its economy. Everyone in the coalition was committed to expanding Medicaid. Now they just had to agree on what it would look like. Ed staked out his position. He wanted to reduce reliance on social services, help people find work, and make sure enrollees had personal responsibility. That is why premiums were non-negotiable.
2: Now, the governor didn't like that at all. But to his credit, this was Governor Bullock at the time. Um, I I remember, you know, daily meetings, screaming and yelling and staff crying and running out of the room. And I left the room a few times and hung up on the governor. And, um, you know, it was just a very emotional, passionate process because we all wanted to get something done.
0: They had 90 days to pull this off. Long days turned into late nights. They yelled, they cried, they gave it another go. But in the end,
1: they got it done. With 28 senators voting yes, 21 voting no, Senate Bill 405 is passed the Senate.
0: The bill passed, and CMS granted Montana the authority to expand Medicaid and charge people premiums. Democrats had negotiated a list of people who would be exempt, like the medically frail, people living in areas without many providers, and folks with very low incomes. As the program got underway, two to 300 people a month were getting kicked off for not paying their premiums. In Montana, only people with incomes between 100 and 138 percent of the federal poverty line can be dropped for non payment. That's somebody who earns about twenty thousand dollars a year. A little more than three years of state records show some 7,000 people now have been kicked off for failing to pay.
3: That is a pretty significant percentage of those who were subject to them, roughly a third of folks who would be subject to premiums. The reality is that there's something happening
0: there. Ed doesn't like seeing anyone lose coverage, but overall, he feels the program has met his goals of improving health and the state's economy.
2: There are people that aren't on the program because of it, but there's not a lot of them. I think people have found a way and found enough benefit within the program that it's worth to them and their families to pay the premium, and they do pay it.
0: 106,000 people are enrolled in Medicaid expansion today. That's 10% of the state's population. A University of Montana report from last year found expansion has helped more people get medical care, created thousands of jobs, and has brought in about $650 to $700 million into the state every year. While the program costs Montana about $80 million annually, the report finds 40% of that is offset by lower health care costs and increased economic activity. But now, with CMS ordering the state to phase out premiums, Ed wonders if this all may go away.
2: It, it just is amazing to me that the Biden administration would decide that they're not going to allow premiums at all. That's always been one of the cornerstones of our Medicaid expansion program in Montana.
0: In a sign of just how difficult this decision actually is, there's a good chance the legislature is going to wait until 2025, when Medicaid expansion in Montana sunsets, to even take the issue up. It's impossible to know the makeup of the legislature and which party is going to hold the governor's office, but Ed says if Republicans control both branches, he could imagine the state walking away.
2: I think it comes back to the argument as to whether healthcare is a right or not. I think there's a lot of those folks saying, you know, people have the right to to get the medical service that they need, shouldn't have to pay for it. My party does not believe that's the case. We believe that uh, it's not a right, it's a privilege, and that there has to be some skin in the game.
0: Personally, Ed feels stuck. What's more important, making people who earn around $20,000 a year pay something in order to access medical care, or continue to ensure a healthier workforce that brings in millions of taxable dollars to montana every year what would he tell the governor if he asked for ed's advice
2: yeah i've uh, i've ran that through in my mind uh more times than you can imagine i i think i would lean towards the benefits of the program how much it's good it's done for folks I've had uh, personally had a lot of uh, interactions with people whose lives have been saved because they've had access to health care or had access to to addiction treatment. It's going to be hard to look those folks in the face if, if I don't support moving the program forward in some fashion, but I don't know, I'm torn.
0: Ed expects the debate over premiums to go on. He may or may not be a state lawmaker the next time the legislature votes on the issue. But the possibility that political philosophy prevails, he says, weighs heavy on his mind. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. The evidence is clear. Climate change is bad for our health. Often, deadly. And the industry that's supposed to heal us is part of the problem. The healthcare sector is itself a major polluter, but its mission is to heal people. So the contradiction between its mission and its operations is profound. Healthcare's role in the climate crisis, next time on Tradeoffs.
5: Thanks for listening to Trade-Offs. If you've just discovered us, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. Subscribing is free and easy on whichever podcasting app you use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Trade-Offs team is producers Andrea Perdomo and Ryan Levy, executive director Jessica Silverman, communications manager Nora Tahiri, senior health policy editor Sarah Thomas, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer leslie walker the trade-offs theme song was composed by ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from epidemic sound and blue dot sessions trade-offs coverage of healthcare costs is supported in part by arnold ventures and west health additional thanks to matt salo dennis smith craig wilson joan ackler and families usa thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work including charles hebner Matthew Clyburn, and Annabella Roig. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Better Care Playbook, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, the SOSOSA Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders.